0: David, if we haven't met. Um, yeah, man, it's great. February evening? Is it February? I'm sure. About that. Um, yeah, thanks, Hope. Um, hope is on staff at um, Southside Christian Church, which is a, a supporting church of CSF. It's also Lindsay and I's um, home church. Um, we hope that you will attend a local church on Sunday mornings. Um, we love what we get to do. Um, being on mission here on campus. But there's something uh, significant about us uh, being plugged into a church on Sunday morning is it keeps us from um, living in a bubble and, um, and forgetting that God is at work outside of the campus context. So I hope that you'll find a church to connect to. I'm sure Pope and Grace could talk to you about Southside um, or, of course, Lindsay and I could as well. Um, I grew up in a family of six. There should be a picture coming on the screen with that. Maybe. Save the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I do not even know to do that, that's so amazing. Is it not, it's okay it's not, it's not showing. Wow. <laughs> you can just leave that up, that's even better. <laughs> um, that's so um, okay, so,
1: uh,
0: family of six, a mom and dad, and three siblings, um, I, I assure you, I was the best-looking one of the, one for the whole group. Um, so uh, you know, so of course we would get in trouble on occasion. In a family of six, uh, my kids don't, but, uh, but I did. Our family did. Uh, maybe you can relate to these. There were two types of trouble in our house growing up. There was first-name trouble, and. Trouble. Um, first name trouble would go like this, I'd be downstairs, like, playing video games or doing whatever youthful David um, would be doing, when all of a sudden I'd hear my mom or dad say, David, stop antagonizing your sister, or, like, David, stop, you know, go clean the room, or something like that. So this was first name trouble, right? So it was the sort of thing where, like, I, uh, you know, they're usually kind of minor infractions that I may or may not take seriously, uh, you know, maybe get to them when I see fit, especially when it came to, like, antagonizing my sister. It's first name sort of trouble, but middle name trouble is a different animal, right? Middle name trouble um, is a is a bigger deal. Um, so same scenario, I'd be downstairs playing video games or whatever when all of a sudden I'd hear, David... Carl Lasley, my middle name is Carl, for those of you who don't know. David, Carl Lasley, get in here. And uh, examples when this would play out would be uh, maybe hitting my sister with a golf ball or you know getting in trouble at school or just generally being a complete idiot, those sorts of things. Um, my dad played football. He was a lineman in college, so with either parent, but especially with my dad, if I heard my middle name Um, I knew I was actually in trouble, and I'd better go figure out what was going on um, right away, because I might not like the consequences if I didn't. I wasn't just in trouble, uh, I was getting called out in that moment. I don't know if you know the difference. Can you relate to that if you had that happen? It doesn't have to be with a parent. It could be maybe a coworker, or a friend, or neighbor, or a roommate, which, I mean, that's fun, right? at um, any number of people. What do you do? What do you do when that happens? How do you handle it when you do something wrong and someone else is there to tell you about it? I don't know about you, but uh, reactions, I think, can vary. Um, for me, it's easy to get defensive at first If someone calls me out or maybe um, I'll get angry, Um, some of us might go the other direction. Maybe we'll get subdued or embarrassed. Some of us might get dismissive. Um, Regardless though of what our typical reactions might be, um, I I think it's, um, and really it probably just depends on our personalities, but regardless of the reaction, I think for every one of us, there's really just two options for how we can respond. We can either choose to Listen with intent to change, or we can just ignore it. Right? It's really only two options. Um, now, of course, too, when it comes to getting called out, who <coughs> is calling us out matters. I think um, if someone gives me anonymous feedback, um, or I hear it through some person telling some other person about this thing that they're frustrated about, um, I'm probably not going to listen very closely to that because they didn't value the relationship highly enough to come directly to me, Um, or maybe a person calls me out about parenting, uh, but they've never stayed up all night with a child, or maybe even changed a diaper. Um, They may still have some wisdom to share, but no disrespect to them, Um, they may not have a full grasp of 24 seven life as a parent um, in the same way that I did before I had kids. I just knew that I would be uh, a much better parent than mine were until I actually had kids. (laughs) And now I realize that I'm actually much worse Uh, than my parents were who is calling us out matters it matters so what do we do when it's someone who is deserving of our respect what do we do in that situation or even what do we do if it's god calling us out i know about you but my knee-jerk reaction is to say that if god called me out um, if he came here or sent an angel right now in the flesh and called me out, David Carl Lasley, um, that I would do whatever he says in that moment, probably. The problem, though, with that assumption is that if you look at Scripture, the reality is that that is just simply not the case at all. Um, We're in a series right now called Different, where we're studying the book of Daniel, and Daniel is one of many Old Testament books with accounts, um, with stories of people being called out directly by God, and um, and then... maybe or maybe not really responding to that. The goal of our series is that we um, would learn together that following God requires us to be (coughs) different than the culture around us. And really, honestly, I I can't think of a better topic than this or one that's more countercultural than um, our how we handle this topic, our approach to it. Um, We're going to be looking at two key leaders tonight. Um, It's Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar, so we'll be in Daniel 4 and 5. If you have a Bible, you can open that up. Both of these guys are called out by God, and both their topic topic and the response that they have to that being called out, um, I think provides a very specific challenge for any of us um, that want to follow Jesus um, even now today. So I want to pray um, before we get started looking at the text together here. Let's pray. Father, we want to say thanks for your word. We're grateful um, that you've given it to us, that we can hear from you through it. Um, Lord, we we need you. Um, We can't do this life on our own, and so we come tonight dependent on you. expecting you to speak to us. I'm I'm grateful that you know where everyone is at tonight and what they need from you, um, and trusting that you're going to speak what you need tonight to them. we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so again, tonight we'll be in Daniel <coughs> 4 and 5. Since there is a lot here, and we're also doing this in small groups, um, we won't be reading the whole sections of both of these chapters together, but really just summarizing and catching the highlights of them. Um, so please, like seriously, don't let this be your only exposure to these chapters. Like read them for yourselves. Like join a small group. And study them in that context as well Um, But for us tonight We'll start in Daniel 4 Where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream Again So this is verse 4 in chapter 4 And it'll be on the screen as well I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house And prospering in my palace I saw a dream that made me afraid As I lay in bed The fancies and the visions of my head Alarmed me So if you recall, this is how Daniel 2 started out As well, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream it troubles him. The text goes on to say that as in Daniel 2, he asks for all of his wise people and advisors and they can't help him with it. So he asks for Belteshazzar, which is Daniel, um, who God used to help him in Daniel 2. Now, the dream is like really weird. So uh, we're just going to read it um, or a big section of it. So just hang with me on this. Verse 10, it says, these are the visions I saw while lying in bed i looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land its height was enormous the text says it's a large fruitful tree but then he sees a messenger ahead of verse 14. he called in a loud voice cut down the tree and trim off its branches strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field let it be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal Till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and gives to them anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of people. So, kind of a summary here. Nebuchadnezzar explains to Daniel that he sees a massive tree, and then the messenger comes to chop it down, and then the stump is left just to kind of hang out in the wild. Um, and then it, then it gets really confusing with the talk of a stump being changed, like being changed to like having a mind of a man, which. Makes no sense. And then that mind gets changed from a man's to an animal's. Also, same. Like, this makes no sense yet. Um, And then somehow this tree and stump with a changing mind is related to an announcement by the messengers that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives to them anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Uh, For me, anyway, it is relieving that Nebuchadnezzar is confused by this tree because I I don't know how you could expect to understand it. Um, But just as in chapter 2, since as Lindsay said, if you were here a couple weeks ago, that God is our source of true wisdom, uh, God gives Daniel the ability to speak wisdom regarding this dream. And so Daniel says, skipping ahead to verse 25, seven times will pass, he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, seven times will pass, pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel explains that King Nebuchadnezzar is the tree, which is exciting. It's a big tree until uh, he's then chopped down and driven away into the wilderness. For what purpose? Daniel says, until he acknowledges that heaven rules. Now, this would have been a big big claim. and We've been talking about this um, in previous weeks, that Babylon was a world power, and King Nebuchadnezzar was like the guy. And so, this really would have been a big, big claim for him, but Nebuchadnezzar is getting called out by God in this moment, and Daniel advises him to repent and turn to God. I mean, talk about a challenge, like, especially as, like, king of an empire, to be called out in that way. I don't know about you, uh, but for me, like, especially in environments where I have some authority, it can be really hard to be challenged, like, in the sense of receiving feedback in some way. Like, for me, like, when my kids do it, (laughs) Um, Like, if I tell my kids earlier, there's no screens for them, and then Ethan walks over, and I'm on a screen, and he's like, Dad, you just told us a little while ago um, that we can't be on screens. Like, why can you now be on screens? And I have to sit there, um, shut up. (laughs) Like, no, no, I'm, I'm grumpy. I'm grumpy because he's right, but it's just hard to receive that feedback when you're in a position of authority. When it's coming from your kid, you're the parents. Now, I mean, none of us are kings, like Nebuchadnezzar, but maybe you're the leader of your sorority or a political club, or maybe you're top in your class, or maybe you're the manager of your job, or maybe you lead a Bible study, or maybe you lead worship, or maybe you're a campus minister. Yeah, it's, um, or maybe your voice carries in your friend group, or maybe in your family, um, your siblings look to you as the leader. I love how Andy Stanley talks about this. It's this, this sensation that he describes of being the most powerful person in the room. He says that all of us have influence in some form or another. And so all of us in some room are the most powerful person in that room. Uh, big or small, doesn't matter. We all have that. How do we handle that? How do we handle that influence and authority that we have? And manage, like in that room, there's something that's really hard about having a title or a position of influence it just makes it so much harder to humbly listen and be challenged in those spaces pride just creeps in i think so quickly in those. and i can't imagine how hard it would be for king nebuchadnezzar as a ruler with enormous power and influence to be called out in this way acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes God's saying in this dream, and Daniel is challenging the king directly to stop thinking he's in charge. God says he's not, that God is in charge. And he wants Nebuchadnezzar to know um, that God is the one that put him there to lead the kingdom. He needs to recognize that God is the most high. I mean, like, talk about a challenge. It's huge. Unfortunately, it's clear that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want to hear this. Verse 29 says... Four months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I've built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He starts saying, look what I've built. You know, I'm a self-made man. I'm awesome. I did it. I did it. It's all about me. Maybe he gets out his phone and he starts, like, flexing on all the people that doubted him as well. I don't know if he did that, but like seriously, before we're, before we're too harsh on him, we should recognize that this actually might sound a little familiar. I mean, the wording might be very different, but um, in this digital age, um, I don't know if you see this, but our culture preaches and idolizes this sort of mentality um, this idea that each of us would work hard on our own strength to get ahead and become like the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be, and then take as much attention and credit as we can possibly get for that. We do this all the time. But there's a problem with this. We see in verse 31, it says, Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So the words are coming out of his mouth, and the dream happens to Nebuchadnezzar. The text goes on to say he gets sent into the wilderness and loses his sanity in some form. It isn't totally clear on the mechanics of this, but really the point is indisputable, that God is intent on getting Nebuchadnezzar's attention about this. And the question is really just will he do that? Uh, we see the answer in 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an, an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Skipping ahead of verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So how does Nebuchadnezzar respond to God's calling him out? Well, it takes some time. What do we see? He humbles himself, acknowledging that God is in charge and not him. In fact, he recognizes that this is why he's getting called out in the first place. is because he's been walking in pride. And I think there really, like there's so much that we can learn, even just from chapter four. If we just were to stop right here. But I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves. Um, I want to take a look at the second story in chapter five, and we'll be a little more brief about this one, but I want you to just hang with me. I know this is a lot of text, but it's equally important for us to understand chapter 5 to gain a whole picture of what we can learn tonight um, from these passages. So, our second story fast forwards a little bit to a later ruler in the line of succession in Babylon. Um, the guy in charge is Belshazzar, not to be confused with Daniel, whose Babylonian name is Belshazzar. This is Belshazzar that we're talking about. So, the setting in chapter 5 is a giant party with lots of food and wine, Um, and the text says in chapter 5, verse 2, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then... as one might expect anyone to do if a random hand uh, suddenly appeared. Belshazzar freaks out. So verse 6 is descriptive. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Lindsay asked me if I could try to like reenact this scene in mine for you. Um, and, which I'm sure that would probably be funny, but I just thought, you guys deserve... A higher quality theater than that. So I will—I'll just say the obvious that we all know that the king was shocked by this, of course. But the hand had something to say, and the king couldn't understand it. Not only that, but again, his typical advisors and wise men couldn't help him. You guys are starting to hear the repetition here? This is the same setup that happened in Daniel two. It's the same one that happens in Daniel four as well that we just read. So, again, Babylonian ruler is reminded, um, this time by his wife, of Daniel, interpreter of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and visions. So Daniel comes on the scene, and Belshazzar immediately starts like offering him authority and gifts. And Daniel says, nope, I don't, want I don't want any of it. I don't want any of that stuff. And rather than answering the king's question, he tells the story that we just read in Daniel 4 about King Nebuchadnezzar being called out by God, and eventually humbling himself before God. And then he addresses King Belshazzar in verse 22. It says, And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, though you knew this story that we just read about Nebuchadnezzar. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. He goes on to say that the four words the hand is written essentially means everything, Belshazzar, that you think you have built, and all your authority is being taken from you. <laughs> Yet again, God, through Daniel, calls out the most powerful person in the room, in that moment really for the same thing as before they lifted himself up ahead of the lord of heaven to show it in this one he took the sacred elements from yahweh god's temple and used them uh, to worship other deities so these vessels were from the the lord's temple like these had been in the very presence of god he was using them to worship idols like jews hearing this would have been appalled That this was happening. Belshazzar was taking something that God had deemed sacred and he was using it for sin. So really like this is pride at its core. Like when you say, I get to decide what's good and right, that I'm in charge rather than God. Daniel says enough. Like you've heard about King Nebuchadnezzar and you haven't changed. He humbled himself and you're not And it's really, it's a super short ending in chapter 5, verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Belshazzar gets called out for pride in the most attention-getting way possible. And what does he do? Nothing. He doesn't do anything. He just does some other king things for Daniel. He gets called out, but unlike Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't humble himself. Nothing changes at all. And the chapter ends on a psalm <coughs> note in verse 30. It says, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So we have two stories. You have two kings, uh, one empire, both getting called out for pride, but two like vastly different responses and outcomes, too. Um, and I know that this is a lot of ground to cover. I know it's a ton of scripture that we just read, but we're reading both of these stories because um, they belong together. They teach us something significant, not only about ancient Babylon, but I think also about ourselves. The difficulty, though, with uh, a text like this, because of its like crazy visions and extreme situations, is that it would be really easy, I think, to just kind of hold it at arm's length, when the reality is that the core question in this text um, should be something that should specifically challenge each of us um, that wish to follow Jesus. And the question is really simple. The question is, who is really on the throne? Who is really on the throne? I've intended to have, like, um, notes and, like, little cool blanks for you, like, on the announcement sheet. I completely forgot about that. So you just get to write them down as we go. So if it's underlined, you'll know that those are the things that I was really trying to let you to see. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Who is really on the throne? But before we give a quick answer, like these two stories teach us that we can be doing what looks good and right and successful in the eyes of the world and actually be throwing away our relationship with God. Because pride and a relationship with God don't mix. James 5 says it this way, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And honestly, this may sound harsh, but really, I think it's just acknowledging our true place in the world in relation to God, that He is on the throne and we're not. So, what do we do with that? Um, how do we take the lessons from these two kings and the lessons that they may or may not have learned and actually apply that to our lives? Um, I think to start, and you can write this down, we probably shouldn't. Uh, drink wine from temple vessels anytime soon and worship gods of stone right, we can all agree to that we probably also shouldn't go on any rooftops anytime soon and talk about our majesty <laughs> uh, I don't know if you can even find one around here to do that honestly how to get on a rooftop um, anyway, seriously though I've been wrestling with this I'm not sure, but I think for us I think it starts with us just simply admitting that all of us are prideful all of us are prideful I, and this is easier said than done uh someone challenged me early on in my walk with god to pray for humility every day every day and the reason was simple that i want to be in charge every day um, and I, i'm not a king but i want to take credit for who i am and where i've come from and where i'm going but walking with god and being different means that we accept him as Lord and we submit to Him. He's a loving and faithful God, but He is on the throne. And so for us, uh, we need to acknowledge that that all of us are prideful. If we do this, it frees us for the second thing. And the second one is: I don't know if there's a slide for this. Cool, oh, great. Um, we resist things that lead to pride, and this is where we can look at these stories for some help with the specifics. Uh, for Nebuchadnezzar, it was his speech that showed it. He didn't resist lifting himself up was the big thing, he didn't resist lifting himself up. Same for us, how do we talk about ourselves? Do we trumpet our accomplishments with our friends or on social media? Uh, something we're working on in our family right now with our kids, since they live in an age where like everyone is telling them they're awesome all the time and so they just think that they're totally awesome. And sometimes they're a little quick to point that out <laughs> in different situations, how great they are at this one thing. That they did and so uh we've been quoting proverbs 27 2 together which says let someone else praise you and not your own mouth an outsider and not your own lips we resist lifting ourselves up uh, not that what we did was even necessarily like it wasn't that it wasn't good um, it, it's okay to feel a job well done even god does this if we go to genesis in the creation account He creates, and then he saw that it was good. It was a job well done. It's okay to feel proud of something you did. It's just that we don't trumpet it. And instead, we work on lifting others up, which builds our muscle memory to ultimately lift God up. (coughs) Another thing that leads to pride for us to resist, we can see in Belshazzar, for him, it was ignoring what God has made sacred and using it to our own. It's ignoring what God has made sacred and using to his own ends. Now, I've never drunk wine from holy vessels and worshiped gods of stone, but um, I've read enough scripture to know that there are lots of other things that God calls sacred um, that I have not used in a way that honors him. And for me, sex and relationships, that's a big part of my story, is not using those in a way, uh, those sacred things, in a way that's honoring to God. Uh, We're going to have winter retreat in a couple weeks, and the topic's relationships. It's a great, great um, speaker that's going to be sharing. If you haven't signed up for that um, yet, I hope that you will. It's a really, really good time. Um, Something else I think many of us probably struggle with in this day and age is pushing past God's command for rest and instead feeling like our work is more important than heeding his command to take a Sabbath day, a sacred day, to rest from our work. This is something I'm currently realizing I need to grow in. Uh, maybe you feel it too as you add a ton of commitments or maybe um, as you procrastinate from getting the work done and so you're never actually able to take a full day to just rest and be aware of God's love for you and His Spirit speaking to you. It's been huge for me. Uh, another example that's close to home as a worship leader, even just as a church attender or worship service attender. Um, it's easy to make this time like our worship gathering, um, a time filled just with my preferences and critiques, rather than being attentive to Jesus himself. All these are things that God has clearly set up to be sacred, um, and we can use them to our own ends, saying, you know, that I know better than God. This leads to a life of pride, we need to resist this way of thinking. So that's a lot of no's. Uh, we can't just expect to say no and expect to grow. There has to be another side to that coin. And this is where the invitation of Jesus is just so compelling to me. Uh, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The good news of jesus is that by his grace and through the power of his holy spirit that we can build a life around relationship with him that's filled um, with doing what he did and knowing him intimately and jesus life shows for us that um, when we submit to god's plan and authority it's not necessarily <coughs> easy because it's so different than the world around us like you can see that um, and certainly daniel models that as well Um, but the life jesus wants to offer us is characterized by a life of gentleness and humility and what it leads to for us is rest and i don't know about you but that sounds so much better to me than the never-ending cycle of trying to be good enough or sound good enough or look good enough Uh, this never-ending cycle that just keeps going and going um, for everyone around me i think we see that nebuchadnezzar learned the sort of humility um, that was offered to him, the one that's offered to us through Jesus. And Belshazzar didn't. And the question for us really is simply: which one of those paths do we want to choose? Which one are we going to be characterized by? And I hope that as a community, that we can encourage and challenge each other, myself included, um, in choosing the way that acknowledges God enthroned uh, and not us. And really, not just for our own sakes, even, but for those around us too, for our friends and for the campus, and for the world, um, that they could see this good life that Jesus offers that's filled with gentleness and humility, and ultimately, rest. I think that's the sort of life that is going to look different in a good way from the world around us. Um, And maybe the sort of thing, too, that causes people that we know to even consider accepting the invitation that Jesus offers them. And so, I I hope that that would be the case for our community, and I want us to pray toward that, Um, Right now, so let's pray, Father. We're um, we're going to pause and acknowledge who you are. Um, That you're enthroned, that you're loving and faithful and kind, and Lord, that we submit to you. It's your rightful place. It's who you are. Um, You're Creator, we're created. Lord, I pray for your help. For each of us, myself included, that we could um, learn this um, pattern of living where we acknowledge you as enthroned, that we don't lift ourselves up, but we lift you up, that we'd resist pride, Lord, um, because we want to know you better and love you more, and we know that your life, the, the life you offer us, is good and leads to rest for us. And so we pray for your help in that. We pray for the people around us um, looking for. Um, something more, something better. And we know Jesus you offer that. We pray that you would help us as we grow in that um, to impact those around us through our lives um, as well. We trust you to do that. We thank you for your word. Um, help us to be able to um, live it out. We pray all this in your name. Amen.